Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Was that awesome? Because I'm going to try to find out how I get in on some of those angelic dinners myself, right? I'm going to reach out to them today and send them an email, figure out how do I get in on that one. Amen? And, uh, but I'll tell you what, also, when you listen to the announcements with Rob and Anthony Shallow today, it's just, it's, it's beautiful in a sense as you look at real people, real struggles, real life things, and how we incorporate time with one another. I think they hit the nail on the head when Anthony started talking about how blessed he was to spend time with other men. And there's so many women that I hear the same thing, what we make relationships in the church. Our lives were not just meant to live on Sundays here in the church. The command is for us to live with each other during the week too. And that's just to think about off note, but that's what the Hebrew church was faced with in the New Testament. The Hebrew church was, they were good, they were strong in their faith. But if I had to give you a pictorial view of what they looked like, it's like as if they paid money to join the New York City Marathon, and they got their number, and the day of the race, instead of getting ready to run on the street, they were standing off to the side, leaning up against the mailboxes and the light posts. And they got tired and weary. And that happens to us as Christians. Life has such a way of dragging us down. And it's really a perfect segue of going into Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Paul was writing this letter from inside uh, a jail cell. But where he was at at this point was under house arrest. And he was chained to a prison guard, an imperial guard, which is basically like the Roman CIA. And he was shackled to them 24 hours a day. All right, so there's pros and cons to this. The bad parts is that he couldn't even use the bathroom by himself. There was no privacy. But when you read through the book of Acts, it tells us that Paul was granted permission to have as many guests as he wanted to, right? So there was a plus to this. So every time Paul had these guests coming in, these imperial guards were actually hearing the gospel every time Paul would share and he would write. And it got to a point where I would imagine in the beginning, the guards were like, oh, do I have to listen to this nonsense again? But it swayed over. Because if you, when you get to chapter 4, just to read verses 21 to 23, or 21 to 22, Paul ends his letter at Philippi writing this, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. They were changing their minds and they were no longer worshiping Caesar. They began to worship Christ. And Paul, when you look at Paul's letter, this entire letter, it's, it's, it gives us such a beautiful language of Paul, which by the way, even when you're in chapter one, you wouldn't even know this guy's in jail until you get down to around verse seven or eight. He's telling the church that he's filled with a joy because of their partnership in the gospel. Now, if that was me, I'm writing that letter and I'm telling you all, I want ABC and you better bring it to me. I want raisin cakes. I want falafel. 
I, I think it's disgusting, but probably if I was a Jew, I'd say, I want some gefilte fish. I want some chocolate babka. I want all these things, and you better bring them to me. Paul doesn't do any of that. Paul is just ecstatically proud of the church, and he's saying, my prayers are filled with joy, knowing that me and you are in this together. We've partnered together to share the gospel. And then Paul knows in the sovereignty of God, he understands that he is being placed. When you get down in chapter 1, he knows that he's been placed in these chains for the greater good of the advancement of the gospel. Not an easy thing to do, by the way. And then, and if we can really be as real as we possibly can, when Paul was converted, which we have to understand Paul's testimony. So if you're new to the church, the man that wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul before this. And before, before we get to Acts chapter 8, 9, right in that area, he's out persecuting Christians. He was killing them. That's what he did. So you could understand that when the brothers and sisters in the faith, they hear, when, like, if, if, again, this is about 40 years later, but when you look at, uh, in his faith, but when you read this letter, there was definitely some doubting Thomases at the table, right? Because if I got to that point reading that letter, it says that all the guards, all the CIA agents, CIA agents for Caesar want to say, hey, they want to say hello and they're proud of your faith. I'm like, nope. I'm telling you, it's a lie. Nope, don't do it. We can't believe this guy. It's a trick. It's a trick. He's going to get us. He wants to convince us that they're all on our side. They're going to get us. They're going to ambush us, and they're going to kill us. Because when Paul was converted, there was, there was, he didn't have any friends in the beginning. He had lived a very lonely life. I mean, nobody trusted him. I mean, would you? He just got done killing Christians, and now... Oh, you've been converted. Wow, that's great. Don't trust them. And Paul is filled with this joy with this letter that Epaphroditus comes and greets Paul. By the way, as he greets Paul with the gift, the distance between where Paul is in Rome and Philippi is 800 miles by foot and water. By foot and water. 800 miles. And I'm thinking about the times that I've complained that I have to just drive across town to go do something. 800 miles. 800. No texting, no cell phones, no bus tickets, train tickets, nothing. No Teslas, no trucks, everything on the fastest vehicle that they have, either by foot or camel. 800 miles. And Paul's ecstatic about this letter that he writes to them. And he is so thrilled with what the church has done. And then you get into chapter 2. And Paul gives us the most beautiful words in the entire New Testament. Where he informs the church that the, the God that we serve. The, the creator of the universe has stepped down off his throne to be amongst us. Where God would grant us the permission not only to shake hands with Jesus, hug Jesus, be with him, but God also granted permission that hands would strike Jesus and hurt him. And yet God would sit back and allow that to take place for the greater good of his plan to come into fruition where Jesus Christ would then become a curse for us 
where God the Father would actually hate upon his own son so that people like me and you would have a chance of living together in heaven forever. So we see that. And then right after chapter 2, after that example, we come up to verse 12. So Paul wants to commend the church and command them at the same time. So he writes to them. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Even before we get to that last part, Paul is commending the church. He said that I am seeing that, you know what, you're living a life of faith, even in my absence. This church was not like a phony church. They wouldn't just wait for Paul to come and then they would act really good and, hey, do things. Like sometimes when we have people come over our house, I joke around with them. And sometimes just because I use my kitchen table as an office because I'm too lazy to walk the, the, the 100 feet out to my office, right? 800 miles from Rome to Philippi and I can't walk 100, 100, 200 feet to my office. And here I'm at the table, so I joke around with people when they come over. I go, yeah, I, I leave the Bible open just to kind of make you believe that I'm reading, you know? But this, this church wasn't like that. They, they, were, they, were, they were living a life that, that proved their faith even in Paul's absence. And Paul was commending them for this. And I think that's an encouragement to each and every one of us. Paul was saying, hey, listen, I am seeing God's fruition work in and through your life. Your faith, I'm seeing you've changed. And that should be an encouragement for us too as we look into our spiritual mirrors that we're being changed more and more into the image of Christ, that we should be excited and we should be uplifted and encouraged knowing that God is doing something great, that we're being changed. We, we really are being changed for the greater good. That should be an encouragement for us. That should be a motivation. Wow. And looking at your own life and looking at the changes and saying, man, I, I see something. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm, I'm seeing more of Christ. And then it really becomes beautiful when there are others in your life that turn around and say, hey man, I, I'm seeing Jesus. I, I'm seeing your life is changing. It really is. And I, I want you to know that. And I pray and hope that you all do that for each other here. I mean, we have to do that. We have to encourage one another. So share with that person. Hey, listen, I, I really appreciate what you did. And I seen Christ. I see more of that in and through your life. And I couldn't be more thrilled and more joyful to be a part of what you're doing here in the church as we spread the gospel for Jesus Christ. And then, you know, again, after Paul takes this, uh, announces this level of humility by Jesus in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, 5 to 6, 6 and 8 really, about Jesus stepping down off his throne, we see that God's design in sharing the gospel is for us to actually bring the word in front of people and, and, and say, listen, can I, can I share with you what it says? That, that, that's God's method of, 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 of how he's designed it. And through that, we see that the church is humble in their service and their love for Christ and, they're, and they're, they have this fire inside of them to go and do this. And when we read John chapter 10, Jesus said that, listen, there are other sheep that have not come into the fold yet. Go out and get them. So we don't even know who they are. And if we could be honest, this is a really, I mean, it's a tough world in which we live in. I'm not so convinced that, I mean, I, I know that some aspects of it today have to be 
more crazier because Jesus said as we proceed to the time in which he's going to come back, things are going to get worse. But sometimes I think that, man, we are living in the worst times. I think it was just as bad during the time of Adam and Eve. I mean, they walked with God and they chose to want to be like God and listen to Satan himself. And they were corrupted. And then we learn about the lifestyles when you go through the book of Judges. I mean, who, who was proud of murdering people? So I, I think all these things are, are, we take them in retrospect that, that you know what? I, I think as we go along, yeah, our life is crazy, but I don't know if it's that much different from a long time ago. It's just that everything is bombarded to us. Like if something happens on the, either on the other side of town or on the other side of the world, you hear about it instantaneously, and then it's just all grouped together. And it's like now you don't even know how to handle all this, all this news that you feel like you're being tidal waved. But we have this responsibility to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ and to be something, something very different to those in whom we are around with the great hopes that they would see something inside of us and they would say, hey, I don't know what it is that you got, but I want it. And I love what you have. I'm not even sure what it is or how do I get it? And then it opens up the great conversation. Well, I, I can share with you what God's done in my life and I can, I can tell you what he's done and I hope that brings you encouragement. And I know it's much easier said than done. Because sometimes we're wondering, yeah, I know. We read verses like Jesus saying, if you love me, you must obey me. That's not an easy one. Obey you? Why couldn't you just say, hey, uh, if we love you, we'll say it. Or if we love you, uh, we'll pray from time to time or something like that. But Jesus says, if you love me, you have to obey me. Right? We hear verses like, if you really want to be my disciple, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. And to really understand that kind of language, is, it's heavy. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really heavy. Because to pick up a cross, understanding that early language, early biblical days, to pick up that cross meant that you were cursed. Right? To pick up a cross means that, if you, like Simon of Cyrene, he didn't want to go near that cross. Because the second that he touched it, he now became cursed by his family and friends. And if he was invited to the wedding, the only thing that he's getting out of, he's getting out of a good meal, and if there was anything, he doesn't have to give a gift, right? But that's, that's what it is. It's just for him to touch that. No, no, you're not coming to our house. You can't. You've been cursed. So Jesus uses the language that people are scratching their heads with and going, I don't understand that. What do you mean I got to pick up my cross and follow you? I don't want to do that. I just, I want to be happy. I want to do things that I, I want to do. I don't, I don't want to pick up a cross. I came across this about two weeks ago and I, I stopped on it and I read, do those around you see Jesus? On the bottom it says, as Christians, are we putting on different personalities for different occasions? As Christians, are we put, I like, isn't his shorts are cute, aren't they? Little polka dotted shorts. As Christians, are we putting on different personalities for different occasions? Now Paul, when he writes this letter to the church of Philippi, it is clearly just in verse 12, therefore, as my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Obey now even more in my absence. This church was doing what they were supposed to be doing in and out of Paul's presence. Now, Paul knew that, hey, listen, I'm not the one to worship. It's Christ. You, you got to live for him. 
because I'm going to come and go. As a matter of fact, I don't even know how much longer I'm going to be on this earth. Paul knew he had a death sentence. It was waiting for him. He says, you got to go after Christ. I want to read this word for word. For generations, people have dressed in their Sunday best clothes to go to church. On arriving home, they place their Sunday best neatly back into the closet, not to be worn again until the next service. Often, as Christians, we can be guilty of putting on church personalities as we would our Sunday best clothes. When in a Christian environment, we are bubbly, friendly, and seemingly without a care in the world. We use the right spiritual words and catchphrases, and all our actions are carefully pious, which means religious. But as soon as we arrive home, we take off our Sunday best personality, we put on our normal hang-ups such as discouragement, guilt, resentment, and depression. Now, we should consider why we do this and who we are fooling. Though we should always put on our best manners when in public, God has commanded our life be without hypocrisy. God sees and knows us as we really are. We can't fool him with our church-going personality. Remember, just because our fellow Christians think highly of us, that doesn't mean God does. We should free ourselves from wearing those itchy, fake personalities. We gain nothing of value by fooling our peers, and it's usually the very thing that stops us from having an honest relationship with both them and God. Now, everything was going good for me last week, two weeks ago, and I seen this. I'm like, wow, I wonder if I do that often. I wonder if sometimes I come to church and say these fancy phrases, or I try to pretend to somebody that I'm something that I'm not, or things are better than they really are. And I get it. We're here. We're in a church environment. Sometimes you'll say, man, I just don't want to bring everybody down with my problems. You think they want to keep hearing about me all the time? I get that. I do. But I, I think that, you know, we're, we're to be a people who are to be real with one another. And this is, this is what you get with me. Whether you like it or you don't, this is what I got. This is who I am. Now, I'm not saying there aren't changes to be made in Ken Fanning's life as well as yours too. There are, right? We're to be changed more and more into the image of Christ. But this is, this is who I am. This is what you get. And, 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 and that doesn't mean that you have to look at everybody in here and say, well, I guess I'm going to have to hang out with them all the time. Well, I, I think that there are some sp special relationships that could be built here in the church. It doesn't mean that you have to hang out with every individual, but it does mean that you, you have to be real because what, I mean, what good is being fake here and then going home amongst family and friends or during the week, right? How many times we'll, we'll hang up our, our Sunday best clothes, we'll put that in the closet, and then we'll put on something else, and then we'll go out into the real world and we'll go to our jobs and we'll act differently, that if we did act, or, or if the church could see us on the big screen, if there was a video of us during the week, some of you are going, oh, I'm glad that doesn't happen, right? Soon, it's coming. Artificial intelligence, I promise you, it's coming. Then you have your life, right? The whole, your whole week. And everybody is seeing not only what you wore, what you said, what you didn't say, the language that you used, right? Some of us are inventing new four-letter words, Right? We're doing all sorts of creative activity like that. And that's, right? that, that's, that's the guy on, 
the guy on the left. And, and the guy on the right is the one that we want all the time. How do we get there? How do we, how do we get to a point where we, we look into the spiritual mirrors and we see ourselves really growing? That's what we want. Paul gives the command here. To work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when I first read that years ago, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but I said, wait a second, I thought I'm, if I'm saved, what's there to worry about? Right? I read Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It almost sounds like it's a contradiction. Wait a second, Paul. You're telling me to work out my salvation with a fear and trembling, and then Romans chapter 8 says that there's nothing, right, the beautiful passage, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is through Christ Jesus. Right now, I feel like I'm on a slinky, a seesaw, right? What do I make of this? How how do do I get around that? What Paul is talking about here is not the individual first. He's talking about the corporate church to work out their salvation with a fear and trembling. But if we could be as real as possible, it's the individual that makes up the church, right? So it's what we do with our individual lives that we come here and then we form the body of Christ, the church. But work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then Paul goes on to say, which we're going to talk more about here, but we talk about uh, do everything without grumbling with the spirit. Do everything without grumbling with the spirit. We'll skip that, right? We'll go somewhere else. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or disputing. Now, you all may have a problem with that. I know that Betty Fisher would say that I'm a pro at not grumbling, not disputing, at all of those staff meetings that we've had. She would say, Kenny is like an angel. (laughs) But you know what? I got to tell you, if it wasn't for women like Betty, uh, people like my buddy Andy Wyatt that have pulled me to the side sometimes and says, you know what, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm not really sure that I'm seeing Christ all the time. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I see that. And I got, those are some hard words. Those are like some hard things to swallow, right? Because I don't, I don't want to hear that, right? We always hear the word, well, it's constructive criticism. Psht, I don't want to hear constructive criticism. That's just a nice way of saying, you're wrong, dude. And change, right? Constructive criticism. I love that. Like sometimes we'll use the words like, you know, well, I heard a testimony the other day, right? I get it. I appreciate it. He's like, well, in my younger days, I was experimenting with drugs. That's a nice way of saying I caved into the lusts of my natural man and I'm evil to the core, right? So we use these, we use these fancy words to try to butter it up a little bit. Me included. I, I get it. But do everything without grumbling and complaining. I think Paul is reminding the church, hey, you got to do this. You got to do things without grumbling and complaining. And they had every right to grumble and complain. Listen, they're, they're facing moments of persecution, right? I, what about for us? I, my biggest grumble right now is that my taxes keep going up so I can pay for things I don't even believe in. I don't like it. I have a problem with that. I do. Some might say, well, well you want to keep the money you're selfish? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm sick and tired of paying for all that stuff. But, but... When we do that, we could do it in a way 
that when people see us, they could still see the reflection of Jesus if, if, we, do it, if we do it right. If we do it right. Because I think what happens is the moment that we leave church and then we put on those clothes and then we go out into the real world and we'll grumble and we'll dispute about things. You know what happens is we're losing, we're losing the reflection and then all of a sudden the mirror starts to get fogged up. And now the glass becomes blurred. It's almost like a stained glass where I could see a reflection behind it, but I'm really not seeing Jesus. And so what happens is we lose something. We lose the characteristic of Christ in us when we do that. And we're all prone to fail. Uh, Lord knows, guilty is charged. I, I get that. We all are. You too. All right, we're human. God knows the way that we're made. Uh, Adam and Eve did the same thing, right? They, they caved in. And then they grumbled about it afterwards. It was her fault. I didn't do this. It was her. No, Adam, you're going to get the blame for all of it. But naturally, we are complainers. We are grumblers when we don't get what we like. I don't see that from Jesus. I think when we look, like how do, how do we really, what is the greatest example? Paul just gave it to them. In chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, right? Do all things, right? Christ stepped down off his throne, became human. I, I think it's very important for us to be reminded that Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in need of nothing. They didn't need any of us. Nothing. I know they didn't need me. And they were completely content. And yet, the plan was that Jesus Christ would come into the world on a mission to die. I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, that is just incomprehensible for me. Because if I was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely in the glorified state, happy as anything, joyful, complete joy, not lacking anything, why would I want to create you? I mean, let's, I mean, let's really be honest. Sometimes people are asking, well, why am I even here? What was I created for? You were created to be a gift from the Father to the Son. The Father was displaying a level of love for his boy in whom he loves more than anything. And he says, I'm going to create a people for you, my son. Before this, Psalm 2 talks about this way in advance. Before the foundations of the earth were even created, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a conversation. And in that conversation, the Father said, look, my son, ask of me of the people, and I'm going to give them to you. And Jesus said, please, Father, yes, I want them. He said, we're going to create a people who, by the way, are going to reject us. And you're going to have to go into the world and die for them. And these people I'm giving you, God the Father, God the Father, who demands to be worshipped, says, I'm going to create a people that are going to worship and honor you. That's my love for you. And Jesus said, well, I'll go and die for them. And the Holy Spirit was right there going, I'm going to be the one to make this whole thing just rock solid. And that's what God did for us. So we're being changed more and more into the image of Christ. And it's hard. And that's why the Apostle Paul is telling the church of Philippi, as well as us today, 2,000 years later, do things without grumbling and complaining. Paul talks about it later on in the text. He even talks about how being poured out as a drink offering. When you understand that language, that's Old Testament language where Paul is saying, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. I'm willing to do that. You even read Romans chapter 9 or 10, forgive me, it's right in one between those two chapters, that Paul says, I wish that I could even be accursed for my own people. That's how much he loved them. I don't know. I mean, what, what kind of level of love is that? I don't know if I've experienced that yet. I hope I do. 
But Paul was willing to be accursed. I, let me be the one. Send me to hell that my people would know who you are. That's love. That, as far as I'm concerned, I know Jesus said the greatest man that ever walked was John the Baptist. I think Paul's ranking number three, right? Number three, number four for sure. And that's what he does. So watching my time, I think that when, when we look at the greatest example that we can follow is, is right above it. Is for us to lay down our life for other people and sacrifice ourselves. That's not an easy thing to do. It's very hard. But, and you know what, too, when you think about Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus talks about the salt of the earth, um, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, it's worth nothing. And I, I think every time that we have in our minds to go a different path other than the one that God has for us, a level of our saltiness seems to disappear. And then we really become useless in the world. But that's not what God wants from us. And here's the beauty. When we look at the text, verse 13 is where we're going to end. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There is the beauty. That's the highlight, right? of today's text, that God is going to be the one to work in and through you so that you can accomplish all these things that he wants you to. I am so glad that Paul, nowhere in the scripture does, does Paul ever turn around and say, hey, I'm going to give you a high five. Good luck. Hope you make it on your own. God the Father didn't do that with Adam and Eve either when he had every right to remove them from the planet. He didn't say, you know what? Good. You guys want to do this? Go your own way. Look at God's special chosen people of Israel. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, he forgives them in lieu of their rebellion. And then God has to make it very clear from Ezekiel chapters 34 to 36 that I know that you cannot love me on your own. So I'm telling you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take out that heart of stone that hates me. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to put inside of you a heart that loves me. And that's what he's done for us. Because the Spirit makes clear that if the Holy Spirit was not living inside of us, we could never do anything to please God. We're at enmity with him. But God works in and through us. He sent his son. I'm going to send him to die for you. And the Holy Spirit, the helper, is going to come and he's going to work through you. He's going to guide you. He's going to hold you by the hand. He's going to lead you to the end, to the finish line. He's going to carry you to completion. Why? God says, I wrote your name in my book. And I never make a mistake. You do. God says, I don't. You were created to be a gift for my son. I will protect you at every cost. When Satan tries to have you, when he tries to sift you like wheat, when he wants to destroy you, when he wants to kill you and your family, I will protect you from him. And I will also protect you from the wrath that's on its way. My wrath, God says. So there's an element of fear and trembling. I want to leave you with a quote. Sam Storm's one of my favorite authors, he writes this in terms of fear and trembling, right? Work out your salvation with a fear and trembling. There has to be some kind of happy medium where we, there's a fear 
inside of us, and yet there's an assurance knowing that we can never be separated, right? And how the two intermingle, I think he words it perfectly. He says this. What are, we are to, what are we to do with this fear and trembling? I think by this Paul has in view our attitude towards God. Perhaps we can catch a glimpse of what Paul had in mind by thinking back on what he said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. If every being in the universe, whether human or angelic, will one day acknowledge the lordship of Jesus and bow in his presence, then the only reasonable response to him is humble, reverential fear, and a healthy dose of trembling. He is God, and we are accountable to him for every thought that passes through our minds and every word that falls from our lips and every action we take every moment of every day. If that doesn't cause you to tremble, then nothing will. Perhaps there's also a measure of fear and trembling at the prospect that if we fail to work out our salvation, we will not have lived up to our privileges as God's children and will suffer the loss of rewards and perhaps the loss of experiential intimacy with God. The bottom line is that diligence in Christian living is no casual or flippant matter. It must be undertaken with urgency and seriousness. That the creator of the universe is coming back. God wants you to be ready. I think doing or trying to live out that lifestyle of following in the footsteps of Jesus is absolutely impossible for us. But in a different sense, it's actually kind of easy when we rely on God's power to do the work inside of us. Philippians, leave you with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes to the church, he says this, to be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion as you wait for the day. God is going to do that for you. Leave here encouraged today knowing that the creator of the universe has taken your name, your new name, written it in the book of life, his book, in which he will never erase your name. Never. That's not how salvation works. I got it one day, I'm losing it the next. I got it one day, I'm losing it. That would cause me to go into a deep state of depression. I'm done with it. I couldn't handle that. My assurance in knowing that God is the one who's working in and through me and you too to carry you to completion. In the midst of those failures and weaknesses that you have, God says, I will be the one. I'm going to do that for you because you can't do it on your own. God is saying, but I need to do one thing. I want you to trust my son. I want you to trust him with everything that you have. If you can trust him and you can love him, then I will love you beyond anything that you could have ever thought or imagined. And every spiritual blessing in heaven is waiting for you according to Ephesians. Every spiritual blessing. How many is that? Is that one, two? Is it five? Is it 500, 5,000? Is it 500,000? Is it 5 million? Is it 5 trillion? Is it 500 trillion? Is it 500 billion quintillion? I have no idea. But God says that every blessing that I have ever created, which is infinite, by the way, is yours. You're my son and my daughter. Trust in my son and love him because I love him more than anything else. And woe unto you if you don't. But if you do, you're mine. And I will protect you from 
anything that tries to hurt my son or my daughter. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your words. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the assurance that we have in knowing that it is you who works in and through us. Father, we are weak, but you are not. And in those moments that we are weak, it's then that your glory begins to be revealed through us. The image of Christ. And that's when people see Jesus, when we trust in him more, be obedient more. Father, it's hard. It really is. Especially, especially when nobody's looking, when nobody's around, knowing that we can hide something or be something different on Sunday and and then be something different during the week. It's easy to do that when nobody's watching. And yet we need to be reminded that you're always seeing. Help us, please. We want that, Lord. Your family, your sons and daughters are here today. It's not by any accident. We believe in your sovereignty. You've brought each and every one of us here today to gather, to hear music, to to hear the word, to... to engage in fellowship, to encourage one another, to hug and to kiss, to embrace, to share. Change us. Please change us more into your son. And forgive us for the times that we rebel against you. We do that. I do that. Lord, so often, more than I even care to admit, knowing that I should go down this road, Sometimes I deliberately take a different one. I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for never letting me go. Thank you for making the promise that you would never leave me or anyone else that belongs to you for that matter. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.